In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Father um, Michael asked me what uh, I can speak about with the incarnation topic. So um, you're expecting to hear uh, some of the reasons for incarnation from the writing of St. Athanasius in his book on the incarnation of the Word. Um, but before we get into um, the why the incarnation, which involves reading a couple of readings from Exodus uh, 33 and 34, just to lay the, the groundwork for what we're doing. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve to, um, to enjoy the kingdom of heaven, which was not yet opened, but that was the next step for them. They lived in the Garden of Eden. And if they passed the test, they would move to eternal life, eternal happiness. But unfortunately, it didn't pan out as it did. In Genesis 2, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So when God created Adam, um, Adam was supposed to be living in heaven, not on earth. So we have a heavenly citizenship, not earthly one. Um, in the book of Psalms, David wrote and says, I am a stranger in the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. In Psalm 119. And uh, St. Peter in his first epistle wrote and says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He is calling the Christians on earth strangers. We live as strangers on earth. And he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And he goes on. So the concept of uh, being alien to earth is in the scripture. And this is how we know that we weren't created, we weren't created to live on earth but in heaven. And our time here on earth is short compared to eternal life. So God gave you a long life, like 200 years. <laughs> but 200 years compared to eternity is a drop of water in the ocean. It's nothing. So that short time on earth determines where we're going to be in, in our future. But I'm doing um, the, all of this uh, ground um, setting to show you that originally God created man to live in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and to, um, to sin or to break the commandment, they fell out. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And um, they had to wait for the redemption, for the, work, the redemptive act of Christ on earth. So, in uh, St. Paul in Philippians 3, wrote and says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Colossians 3, If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Because 
again, we are called to be um, in heaven. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ commands us to lay treasures in heaven, not on earth, and uh, not to put our hope in um, gold or um, possessions, because these can be stolen or they can be um, uh, ruined by the clothing, by the moth, the, uh, all of that. St. John Chrysostom, by the way, has a, a beautiful contemplation about this. And he says, everything in life has what it corrupts it. So food, you leave it out of the fridge, gets spoiled. Iron can corrode. Animals, they can die. Uh, clothes, it can deteriorate. Gold, it can be stolen. Everything in, in, on earth has what will spoil it. Except for one thing. Except for repentance. There's nothing to spoil repentance. If anyone offers remorse and repentance and confession, there's nothing that would take that to the opposite way. The only thing on earth, St. John Chrysostom says, that has no spoiling is repentance. But this is a side point. We get back to the fact that we are heavenly creatures, we're created to live in heaven, and all these verses are just to support that. Uh, in Matthew 6, the Lord says, Let not lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust does corrupt, and where the thieves do not break through, uh, do, uh, through nor steal. So, uh, another thing that shows our um, relationship to heaven is asking for the saints' intercessions on our behalf. Um, one time I was um, approached by uh, a gentleman who wasn't orthodox or didn't accept uh, intercessions. And he says... Uh, I don't mind asking living people to ask, so I can ask you to pray for me, I can pray for you, so while we're living, we can ask for each other. But when you die, that's it. And then it hit me, what's their definition of death? Our saints, are they dead? We say in the, in the litany of the uh, liturgy, there's no death for your servants, but a departure. So they are alive in heaven. So if you accept the premise that only living people can pray for each other, well, that's our faith in the Orthodox Church, that the saints are living in heaven and they are definitely capable and able to uh, pray on our behalf. So this is all micro um, proofs that we belong to heaven and we're always think we should always be thinking heaven but because of our training on earth then things kind of got uh, shifted so um, man was created to live in heaven there was a small time to be tested on in, in the garden of eden and then that test would pass and then uh, like the angels the uh, the angels had a a period of time where they had a chance to choose. His Holiness Pope Shenouda, the thrice blessed, mentioned that there must have been a time 
where there was an opportunity for angels to choose. And then we hear about Archangel Michael um, uh, fighting with Satan and his um, group. So Satan and his followers are the devil, and Archangel Michael and his followers are the victorious uh, angels. So there was a time of test for the angels, and now that that time is over, the good ones can't be bad, and the bad ones can't be good. Uh, we know why the good ones can be bad, because we say the place out of which um, sorrow and groaning have fled away in the kingdom of heaven, there is no more temptations, tribulations. So we know the good can't be bad, but why can't the bad be good? Why can't Satan be saved, in other words? He already made his choice. Hmm? He already made his choice. Yes. Can he repent? No repentance, for, no repentance for those who are in death. Um, that's, that's true. You can't repent after you die. But the angels, they don't have right. bodies. They just, they're spirits. St. John Chrysostom says, if uh, uh, Satan, Satanael, was one of the high-ranking angels, and he was serving God, and he said, I make my throne above God's throne to be above him. He said, when you have seen God and you've encountered God, and you still had thoughts of uh, pride and ego, and... It, the presence of God didn't make you realize or humble you. What will? There's nothing that can happen now that the devil saw. Sometimes if you have someone who's far from the church and they have a vision or a revelation or a miracle, they are immediately convinced and they return and they come back. But for someone who has seen everything, there's nothing more than that. So, the measure of holiness is not uh, how much sin I do or, uh, or being sinless, because there is no one without sin. We say that in the litany. No one without sin, even though his life on earth is a single day. So, what is holiness? Holiness is moving towards Christ in your life. That's holiness. So, you're like a hundred... Minus 100 under zero, so you're not just an F, it's an epic F. But then you're moving in the right direction. Now you're minus 50 under zero. Well, that's an improvement. You're a really, really bad person because you encounter Christ and you're trying your best and you're trying to change and now you're changing your life. You're improving it. That's the direction, that's holiness. And you keep that going, you get to the zero, like St. Paul. Paul was Saul. Saul was under zero. He was persecuting Christians. He was against God. He was against the church. So he didn't even start from the zero like most of us who are born in orthodoxy. We start from zero and we only go up, but sometimes it's difficult. Paul started from below the zero and he kept going and going and he became a pillar of, of, in, in our church. So... Back to the topic of why the incarnation. God created Adam and Eve. They were supposed to live in heaven. They sinned, so they were kicked out. Because 
if they were able to eat from the tree of life, they would live forever with the sin. Then they can't be redeemed. They will have eternal life with a corrupted nature. That couldn't happen. That's why God immediately put an angel with a sword that is um, a double-edged sword of fire guarding the tree of life. And um, sometimes uh, you can think of the deacon standing, the archie standing with the, with the corporal, the cross and the, and, the, and the candle with a buna while he's given the sacrament at the end of the liturgy. This is a reminder of the angel that was guarding the tree of life. And some say uh, <clears throat> the Christmas tree in the, in the Catholic Church, and this is certainly the teaching, uh, the Christmas tree is a reminder of the tree of life. Yeah. And Christ came to redeem us, to return us to this eternal life. So it has a Christian uh, symbolic meaning behind it. If all of this happened and man sinned, then God had to come and redeem man. And that gets us into the reasons for the incarnation. And now we can read from Exodus 33, verse um, 17 to 23. Who would like to read? Remember why we're reading this? I want to show you the need for incarnation. Why we had Christ had to take flesh and come become man. Um, Obviously, to redeem us, that's the chief reason, because no angel or archangel or prophet or um, uh, So it's not possible for human or angels or archangels to redeem us. But before we get to that, let's read uh, Exodus. We're going to read two passages, Exodus 33 uh, and then Exodus 34, but not the entire chapters. Uh, 33, just from verse 17 to 23. If you, want, if you have your phone and you want to pull it up on Coptic Reader or any uh, Bible app. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. So this is Moses on the mountain <clears throat> receiving the Ten Commandments from God. Uh, we remember that Moses fasted for 40 days, 40 nights to be there and to be worthy and to be able to uh, um, receive the commandments. So now the Lord is conversing with Moses. And we can let that go. This is just too, <laughs> uh, too uh, important and powerful when God is speaking to man, a human. You know, never mind that. That's not <laughs> that in itself is a huge encounter and something worthy of contemplation. But Let's accept it, and I mean, it's mind-boggling. Imagine Moses, and then he's, he is with God, the creator of heaven and earth. And God is speaking to Moses about the salvation plan now. It starts with the Ten Commandments, and the Egyptians coming, uh, the Israelites coming out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea, and then getting lost in the, in the desert, and getting the, to the Promised Land, and then go through the... Um, the the kings, King Saul and King, uh, the prophets first, and then the kings, and then the breaking of the um, of the empire, and the prophets coming again, uh, prophesying about the coming of Christ. 
All of this is going to take place, but this is where it's starting. Of course, we had the, the period of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now they were in Egypt for 400 years. And now is the time to take him out of Egypt. So let's start again. So the Lord said to Moses. Read the same verse again? Or? Yeah. Oh, okay. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken. For you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Keep going. Okay. Yeah. To verse uh, 23. All right. And he said, please show me your glory. So Moses wants to see God. Mm-hmm. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. For some reason you can't see God and live. Uh, but those who died from this world, we can't say oh, those who are dead. Those who are alive in heaven can see God but not the ones who are alive on earth. So our loved ones, when they pass, one of the comforting things we can think about is now they can see God, and that's something all of us... Sorry? No, I'm fine. It's something that we can um, uh, contemplate on and uh, be pleased with. We can think of all the mysteries on earth, the seven sacraments, how... The Holy Spirit works in the church and all of that. But in heaven, they already know these things, and it's revealed to them. So Moses is trying to kind of get, get a glimpse of what's going on up there. But God says, uh, I, uh, I will have compassion whom I will have compassion. Uh, you cannot see me, my face, for no man shall see me and live. Okay. And the Lord said, <clears throat> here's a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. Okay, in Arabic, the translation says there's a rock here, go stand by the rock. And then uh, the rock has an opening, which is like a cave, and that's what's going to happen. So it shall be. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Mm -hmm. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So are you kind of getting a scene? So Moses wants to see God. God said, not possible. Just come to the side. And he covers him with his hands. The glory passes. And Moses can see just the back. Someone else, please pick it up from verse of chapter 34, 28. Uh, chapter 34, verse 28. So he so, was there. So, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And neither ate bread nor drank water. Um, he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now when Moses came down from Mount Sinai... Okay, just a second, Mike. Uh, he's coming down the mountain after the encounter with God, or the back of the glory of God, not real God. Okay. So he's coming down the mountain, and the two tablets. Okay. Uh, now when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets were in Moses' hands, when he came down from the mountain... He did not know the skin of his face was glorified while God talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses and the glorified appearance of the skin of his face, they were afraid to come near him. And Moses they didn't know who this was. It was the face was so shiny. Um, they were scared. They didn't know, is this an alien coming down? 
and like a figure coming down, but the face doesn't have any features. It's just um, shining light. And they were scared. They were afraid. Uh, then Moses. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord commanded him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever the Lord commanded him. So the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that it was glorified, and Moses put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. So they couldn't bear the, the, the glory, the shining of God's light on Moses' face, so they had to put a cover on him. And as long as he was with the people, he had to cover, but when he goes to speak to God, he takes the, the veil off. The point here is, <clears throat> can you imagine what it's like to communicate with God? It's, it's, it's terrifying. It's not easy. Uh, later on or earlier on uh, in Exodus, when God is speaking to Moses and the people, there's thunder and earthquakes. And, and they tell Moses, the people are afraid. And they tell Moses, you go talk to God. <laughs> And find out what he wants us to know and then come back and tell us. Imagine if we had to do that to know who God is or learn about God. It was terrifying and it wasn't easy and it wasn't for everybody. But then Christ becomes man. He takes flesh. And he sits with us. He converses with us. He talks with us. He sits. He lays. He speaks. He hungers. He thirsts. So now... This unapproachable, this very difficult communication process is simplified and now we can see Christ and we can communicate with him. Not just that, you have a woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, she just touches his clothing, you know, and she's immediately cured. And Christ turns around and says, a power came out of me. It wasn't just a random thing and nobody notices it. Christ stops everything and says, who touched me? And the disciples are saying, it's very crowded. What do you mean, who touched me? There are a lot of people here. He said, but a power came out of me. Now, this is why we have relics in the church, by the way. It's one of the reasons why. So the, the clothing of a saint may transmit miracles. It's not wrong in the Orthodox Church to believe in miracles. And if this was wrong, then Christ would have said to the woman, what are you doing touching my clothes for? It is I who have the power. Why do you touch just clothing? But he didn't say that. He said, a power came out of me, and she was healed. She was cured. After all of the, that she had spent all her money on the physicians, and St. Luke, a physician, writes about this miracle. It's kind of embarrassing for his profession. It's like the doctors took all her money and couldn't help her in the end. But he writes it, you know, kind of like in, with, with, with the reverence and respect. Uh, and you remember the, the story of uh, the dead man that they threw in uh, Elisha, Elisha's uh, tomb? And the bones touched the bones of the dead man. The dead man came alive. This is another reason why we have relics. El, el, um, 
we venerate the the body of the saints and the possessions of the saints. And they are al Qudisin, the, the relics. Because it has powers. It sort of has it ha- it's in the scripture that it has powers. Did the relics have powers before the incarnation? Or, or of course, the okay. story of uh, uh, Elisha was in the Old Testament. Oh, right. Yeah. So uh, Christ, God came and he, um, he didn't tear down anything. That's why the staff of Moses was important. It became the rod of Aaron. That, that was preserved in the Ark of Covenant. It's such a, a holy object. But before it became a holy object, it wasn't a holy object. As a matter of fact, when you read the encounter of the Lord with Moses in the burning bush, being in Kyak, we, we sing this hymn all the time. God asks Moses, and he says, what do you have in your hand? He said, I have a staff. He, he was a shepherd. He was, after he escaped Egypt from Pharaoh, after killing the Egyptian, and Pharaoh wants to kill him, he escaped. So he was just... Uh, Taking care of Jethro's, his uh, father-in-law, he was taking care of the, the animals. So he had a shepherd staff. Like, it's just a stick. So God asks him and says, what's that in your hand? It's not because God didn't know what was in his hand. <laughs> of course God knew what was in his hand. But the point of the question is to point to Moses to remember, it's just a stick. <laughs> it was just a stick. He said, bring it with you. And then you throw it on the ground, it becomes a snake. You hold it from the tail. And hold it from the tail also. Being a shepherd, he knows that's not the right way to hold a snake. <laughs> you don't grab a snake from the tail. So God was training Moses to have faith. When God tells you do something, do it. Being a shepherd, he should have reached for the head, not the tail, because the snake can turn around. But he had complete confidence in God. So God said, throw it on the floor, he throws it on, becomes a snake. Pick it up from the tail, he picks it up, it becomes uh, a staff again. That staff was used to part the Red Sea and to do all the miracles that we read about in the Old Testament. Uh, it was just an, uh, an inanimate object that was normal, but with, the, with God's use of it, it became a holy article. Uh, so... Communicating with God and um, speaking uh, with God was very difficult, but when Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, became incarnate, he was able to teach us who God is. And that's an Athanasius says in his book on the incarnation of the word, is the, one of the important reasons for incarnation is now we are able to learn more about God. So the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the teachings in the four Gospels. And he speaks about the kingdom of heaven as, and he has a multitude of examples, a dragnet, a lost coin, an expensive uh, um, uh, jewel, jewelry. Um, and he teaches us about that and teaches us about the parable of the sower who went out and there were four types of grounds and the seed is the word of God, the sower is God. Uh, He is now bringing to humanity a lot of the missing holes that were in the Old Testament. It was very difficult to communicate with God. It was through revelations, through uh, thunder and loud voices and calm voices. Um, But that was just, you know, necessary, immediate communications 
But Christ comes and lives on earth for 33 years. In the last three years, he is teaching us who God is. So that certainly is, uh, was one of the reasons for uh, incarnation. And also, uh, we mentioned briefly that no human or angel or archangel can save because the nature of angels is different than the nature of human. A human are made in uh, um, humanity nature. God is of the divine nature. Angels have their own nature. So for a nature to come and redeem the nature of humanity can't be human because it has the, the spoiled or the, um, uh, the broken nature. And after Adam and Eve sinned, then the image of God is broken. It's not the same image anymore. So everyone who's born of Adam and Eve is immediately inheriting the broken nature of God, not the actual nature that man was created after. When we are baptized and uh, confirmed with the Holy Myron, then we return to the original nature. If we sin after that, then we have confession to return us to the original nature. And we fall again, and then we come back again to the nature of God. So... Um, in, in doing uh, the regenerating, the renewal, it can't be human redeeming human because the nature is broken. You can't do that. And angels are not of the same nature. They don't have bodies. And also about that, um, one of the church fathers says that God created man with a human body and a mind. And God created animals with a body, but not a mind. Animals don't have spirits. They don't have a rational mind. They can't speak. They can, you know, they can do all these things. So he's saying that God is able to create a creature that has body and mind, rational mind. He created a creature that has a body, no mind. He's able to create a mind with no body. And those are the angels. They are spiritual beings. They don't have a physical body. So can it exist? Absolutely. We have the animals on the side of humanity where they are very similar to human, but they don't have mind. They have the physical body. On the side of God, you have angels who have a mind, but not a physical body. And also they say that uh, there are many types of animals between man and amoeba and amoeba you know the smallest tiniest cell that is discoverable to this so you have dragons you have elephants you have lions you have birds you have so they're like a, a, a big a range of um, animal bodies between man and an amoeba he's saying it's likely that there are different types of angels between man and God. You have the angels, the archangels, the principalities, the authorities, the dominions, the powers. These are all different types of angels. And as you get closer to the, uh, what we call the thrones in Karesi, thrones, in, in, in the liturgy we say 
the the altar um, uh, that is um, uh, spoken or pronounced, the altar doesn't speak, but when the altar is the angels, the throne of God, then they can speak and they say, holy, holy, holy. So there is a range between like our guardian angel and the regular angels and then the archangels and the different types of, of angels. He said there's probably more creation, more types that we may um, not know about. Anyways, the angels couldn't save us and human, human can't save us. So it had to be from the divine to invite us into the divine. And it had to be someone who innately had the divine nature. And that is the second hypostasis of the Trinity. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's why it had to be God that becomes man. He empties himself and becomes man and uh, redeems us. Uh, also, to give us uh, forgiveness of sin and repairing the, um, uh, the brokenness of the human nature. You remember in the Old Testament, <clears throat> they used to bring the sacrifice, and the sinner would put their hand on the sacrifice and confess their sins. And by the way, the, word he, the Hebrew word for putting <clears throat> the hand on the head of the sacrifice means to push hard. So it's not just placing your hand. You're like pushing hard on, on the head of the sacrifice and confessing your sins. Transferring the sins to the, the blameless sacrifice. And now the blameless sacrifice is going to be um, slain to shed blood for the sins that were committed. But it couldn't do anything to the sins that are forthcoming. So when you committed an unintentional sin, you can um, offer a sacrifice for it. But that's no guarantee that now you're going to save yourself from a future sin. The thing that saves you from future sin is what? Think blood. about it. Huh? Blood, the, the blood of Christ has forgiven us for our sins. And when we sin, we confess and we take the, the communion and we become one with God again he who eats my body and drinks my blood will abide in me and I in him the thing that hedges I'm not going to say guarantees but it's like a hedge against sinning again is repentance when someone offers true repentance say I'm not going to do this again that's what saves you from future sins is I used to be this way, I don't like being this way, I now see the light, I want to repent. So I offer a confession, and then from that point on, I move on. It takes real repentance. <laughs> I'm practical, I know. Uh, I myself, when I go confess to my father of confession, unfortunately, I repeat uh, sins that I said in the last confession. So uh, it's hard, it's not easy. But that's the goal. That's the tool. If we can do it in the right way. I remember one, one priest was telling me that um, 
uh, one time uh, it happened, uh, in, I don't want to say we're in Egypt to <laughs> out the person, but uh, they had, he hadn't been confessing for a while. And then he confessed one time with Abuna, and then a while went by, and Abuna wanted to know, uh, how is it going? You know, are you still struggling? And so he saw the man, and he says, how is it going? I didn't hear back from you. He says, about what? He said, I know you were struggling with this. He said, yeah, but I confessed. I can't repeat it again. And this man was just a very simple guy, very simple man, you know, and he just had in his, you confess it, khalas, it's done. How can you go back and sin again? If we can bring ourselves to this purity and this <laughs> naivety or naivety, where it's it's that simple, you know. Uh, but the devil comes and 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 fights and tempts, and it's uh, part of the holiness that we spoke about is that we're moving in the right direction. By the way, uh, Saint Athanasius put a long list of reasons why incarnation. But I only chose, <laughs> you know, two or three points. I think he has 13 or, or something like that. But we're not going to go through all of them uh, for the time's sake. Um, another uh, final thing that uh, I can't conclude the talk without mentioning, and that is God's love. Why incarnation? Absolutely, it's God's love. I just wanted to be careful not to start out with that, even though that's the most powerful thing there is, God's love. Uh, St. John Chrysostom says, when the scripture says God is love, it's not that God has a lot of love, or his love can increase or decrease. He said he is love. God is love. And if you think of it this way, then there is nothing to stop the love of God to come and redeem us and save us. Now, I wanted to be careful not to start out with this point, because anytime we speak about God's love, we have to be careful, because anyone can speak about God's love, regardless of their religion. <laughs> So when you say God is love or God, you know, God is love, you could belong to any religion on earth. <laughs> it doesn't just belong to the Christians. Anyone else can say that. And not just, you know, Orthodox. Any Christian denomination can say God is love. So what are you going to say that's going to bring out the orthodoxy behind the title God is love? So all of the things we discussed, those are the orthodox teachings about the, the creation, about intercession, about incarnation, about the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, all of these things are unique to the orthodox church. Some churches don't have intercessions. I was shocked to hear that many of the mega churches don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I had um, one of our neighbors in uh, the church in Yorba Linda, she was driving by, and um, uh, she saw some kids messing around with a sign, and she kind of yelled at them, and she called me up, and she said, Father, I'm so disappointed in today's youth, what's going on with them? Uh, she herself belongs to, some, uh, to another Orthodox church, like Serbian Orthodox or Russian Orthodox, I don't remember. But she respects the houses of God and how dare these kids. 
And then she said, do you know the huge church down the street from you? Um, it's called the Vineyard. I said, yes. She said, I went to speak to the pastor there, and I flat out asked him, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And he told her, no, we don't. And she was flabbergasted. She said, I couldn't, and she, he's not the only one, Father. There are other um, evangelical churches that don't proclaim the Holy Spirit. So these are the things that set the Orthodox Church apart. And it makes a difference what your faith is. You know, we had a conversation in the car. It was a long drive. <laughs> I thank Mike for coming with me and bearing with me. But we were talking about um, if you know more, you will be responsible for more. And some may take that as an excuse not to know more, so they are not responsible for more. But then God will come and ask you, why not? Why didn't you know? <laughs> so uh, trying to get away from learning is not the answer. <laughs> and if you learn, then okay, be thankful and use it. So now that you know this, you cannot um, settle for anything less than that. You cannot settle for a message that is less than... Uh, the orthodox message with the intercession of the saints and the sacraments and the mysteries in the church and, and all of that. So definitely he created us to live in paradise with him. He took it up on himself to fix our mistake and then he went to save us because he loved us first. Glory be to God forever. Amen.